Good morning again, Lakeshore. We are so glad to have you with us today. Uh, Smyrna Campus, we're glad you guys are there. We uh, want to welcome everybody that connected with us online today. We're so glad you've made that connection and that we can make that available to you. We are in a series uh, called God Revealed. Was it too early for a Christmas movie clip? Some of you are saying, no, I have Christmas all year round. Some of you are saying, I could see, I could see the stress building up already. Christmas is not that far away, and we're already talking about it, right? So it's got you a little concerned. Uh, I didn't use it because it was a Christmas movie clip. I used it because it ties directly to what we're going to be talking about today. We've been in this series about God, and we've looked at God's power, and we've looked at uh, uh, this, this idea that God has these different attributes that, that we can learn about, even though we can't fully understand God, we can learn enough about God to have the proper respect and awe and reverence for God, but also understand God's love and care and provision for us, and it can give us great confidence to move forward as children of God. And today we're going to be looking at another attribute of God, and it's God's wisdom. God's wisdom. I think we could all, I, I think, I hope we could all admit that there seems to be more and more a shortage of wisdom in our culture. But here's the thing. I, I think it's true not only out there in the culture, I think it's true in the church too. I'm talking about the church universal, the church capital C around America and the globe. I think we're losing some of the wisdom of God even within the church. And so today we're going to be reminded of God's wisdom and, it, and how available it is to us in our lives. In that clip, uh, you could see where Cindy Lou, that little girl, knew more about what the book really said than the mayor of Whoville did. And sometimes that's true even in the church. We don't know the word of God, the wisdom of God, the way we need to. We don't have it in our hearts and in our heads the way we need to. And friends, it hurts us to try to live as a child of God without that wisdom in our head and in our hearts. It keeps us from being able to, to successfully live out the life God has called us to live out. You probably have heard this report about a flight that only had four people on it, and it experienced some mechanical difficulties, and the pilot came back and said to the other three, uh, I'm sorry to report that I, I can't save the plane, we're going to crash, and because I'm the pilot and I have to give a full accounting and report of what happened here, uh, uh, the bad news is we've only got three parachutes, I'm going to go ahead and take one and jump. Well... The other guys on the plane were a young boy scout, an elderly pastor, and a scholarly gentleman uh, that had boarded the plane. Well, the next guy to get up was the scholarly gentleman, and he said, well, I, I went to school at Harvard, and I am seen as one of the most intellectually advanced people on the planet, and, and I'm highly respected for my intelligence. The world needs me, so I'm going to take one of the parachutes and jump. So he grabbed one and jumped. Well, the old pastor looked at the young Boy Scout that was left on the plane. He said, son, I've lived a long life already, and I'm ready to go. So you take the last parachute, and I'll just go down with the plane. The young Boy Scout said, that won't be necessary. That guy that's so brilliant just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> you 
You see, intelligence and wisdom aren't the same thing, are they? We live in a culture of abundant information and access to knowledge and facts, but a lack of wisdom and how to apply and live out that information that we have and how to sort through what's good and what's not good, what's right and what's not right. I mean, there's so much fake news, right, and other stuff out there that's so confusing sometimes. It's hard to know, isn't it? So it's hard to act wisely. And just because we've got all the information available doesn't mean we have the ability to wisely apply the information. I want to read a passage again from Romans 11. I want to do it a little differently today. We don't always do this, but what I want you to do is pull it up on your smartphone or tablet or open up your Bible if you got your Bible with you, Romans 11, 33 through 36. We're going to put it on the screen too. If you don't have something to pull it up on, we'll put it up on the screen. I want us to stand together. Everybody just stand up, okay? Paul has been teaching about God's foreknowledge and planning and directing and orchestrating of things throughout history of the world and among the Jews and the Gentiles and how God knew what he was doing and and was working it all out in the way that it needed to be worked out, reminding people of just uh, just how involved God is and what's going on. And then it's like Paul just stops and breaks out in a hymn of worship to God. And, And it's written, usually if you have a printed copy of scripture or maybe even on your smartphone or tablet, it's written more like a hymn and the way it's printed out there instead of just continuation of of what was going on at the time. And so I want us to read this together out loud as, uh, I'm not going to try to sing it, people. I don't have a tune for it, and I couldn't carry a tune if I had one. So so we're not going to do it like a singing hymn, but we're going to do it like a spoken word hymn, okay, to God. And I want us to do this together as a family of God. So let's pull that up on the screen. As I read it out loud, you guys just join in with me. Let's read it out loud together, okay? Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. When I was in college preparing for ministry, one of my professors gave me this verse as one to memorize. He said, now, as a young pastor, you're going to need to remember. You're going to need to have this in your heart and in your head because you're going to struggle with a lot of things and people are going to come to you with a lot of struggles in their lives. And you need to be reminded, it's not your wisdom that's going to be able to help. It's not your great intellect that's going to be able to answer these things. It's not the intellect of of wonderful counselors out there in the world. Though counselors are a good thing. He said, don't don't rule that out. Those are good things that could be really helpful. But, But that's not the ultimate answer. The ultimate answer is going to be always to remember to go back to the wisdom of God. That's going to trump everything else. That's going to be the most important source and resource you will have, both for your own personal life and in helping others find the answers that they're looking for. Always point them to God. 
to the wisdom that comes from God. And I'm so thankful he told me that because, quite frankly, half the time I don't know what I'm doing. And you don't either. And we like to fake it, don't we? We like to act like we've got our act together and that we've got the answers. And the sooner we can humble ourselves and confess our dependency on the wisdom of God, the better off we will all be. I haven't always done this well because there's always that pressure to look good and look like you do have the answers, isn't there? But isn't it better, even if you don't have the answers, to know where to point people to find it, where to send them to find the answers that they need to have? So today we're going to look at several things about the wisdom of God. I want to start out with what he says here. He calls the depth of God's wisdom. You hear those words again? The depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. What he's emphasizing in that phrase is you need to recognize how valuable this is for you. I think oftentimes we, we are rebellious because we resent somebody telling us what to do if it's not what we want to do anyway. Don't we all have a little rebellious spirit in us? We, we want to kind of push back and fight back a little bit against somebody saying you got to stay within these boundaries and you don't need to go here, but you need to go there instead. We all have some resistance to that. All of us do. You've probably seen this sign or this post on Facebook. It's been used a lot. I love seeing we've got, we've got our, a lot of our young people right up here on this row, right up front here. I'm so glad you guys are up here. This is not an insult to you. I'm reminded, uh, reminded of when I was a teenager, okay? Here's what the sign says. Teenagers, tired of being harassed, uh, hassled by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job. Pay your own bills while you still know everything. <laughs> I can remember thinking as a teenager, somewhere along the way, I started thinking my parents were dumb. They didn't have a clue about what was going on that I knew better than they did. And I was pretty headstrong to try to prove it sometimes. And I would go out and try to do things that were pushing against what my parents were trying to tell me or teach me about life. Not just my parents, but other authority in my life, other adult, adult authority in my life. Now, this is not to say parents always get it right or that all the authorities, you know, always get it right. That's not what we're saying here. But here's what I learned. When I got married and had kids of my own, my parents got a lot smarter. <laughs> they did. All of a sudden, I realized why they said some of the things they said, why they put some of the boundaries there that they put, why it was important to stay within those boundaries. It began to sink in because I was having to deal with those real-life consequences of the choices that you make in life. You see, you're free to choose to live any way you want, but you're never free from the consequences of your choices. And that's where wisdom becomes so valuable. If you can make better choices, what happens to your life? Your life gets what? Better. Because our life is the culmination of the choices that we make along the way. Now, there's some outside forces at work too, but we still get to choose how we respond to those things. And the the more wisdom we have in our responses, the better life is going to go for us. But when we're so rebellious, we refuse to listen to the wisdom. We're free to do that, but we're not free from the consequences of doing that. The consequences are still going to be there. And, and, and I think 
people often ridicule God's instructions in Scripture that he's revealed to us as old, outdated, antiquated, restrictive, unnecessary burdens. Isn't that the way a lot of people look at the Bible? The teaching of God's word? Oh, yeah, that was good maybe for way back then, but, but not for us modern-day Christians today in the modern-day world we live in. With all the advancements of technology and information and knowledge that we have, we're way past all that old stuff now. Sometimes we look at God's teaching that way. And we are headstrong in determining we're going to prove that we can do it our way and we're still going to be okay. And we keep hurting ourselves and hurting other people that we love and care about because we keep pushing against the boundaries that God has set for us. What God's wisdom is revealed in Scripture is really this. And we need to remember the depth of the riches of God's wisdom. Here's what it is. They're the protections of an all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving father who wants only what's best for his children. That's what the wisdom of God is. And the sooner we can accept that about God, the better. It could keep us from messing up our lives even more, even if we already have to this point. It could keep us from hurting people even worse, even if we've already hurt them at this point in our lives. It could help us find some healing and some restored peace and joy if we could just grasp this, that God's teachings are not there to keep us from something good, but to protect us from something that would hurt us or hurt others. Any loving parent would teach their child not to put their hand in a fire, wouldn't they? I mean, any parent that really cares about their child would teach them, don't put your hand in the fire. It will hurt you. It will burn you. And God's boundaries, the teachings of God's wisdom are there because God loves us enough to warn us about what would hurt us, but also to inform us about what will really bless us. And the more we can learn to listen to that wisdom, the more valuable we'll see it really is. The depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's unlimited, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. So let's, let's recommit ourselves. If we're going to call ourselves the people of God, if we're going to say we're followers of Christ and, and try to live that out in our lives, then let's be willing to start out with understanding the need to accept just how valuable God's wisdom really is for us. Because if we understand how valuable it is, we're more likely to listen to it, aren't we? Not just hear it, but, but really listen to it in a sense that we apply it to our lives. I know the song says, regrets, I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention, right? Some of you know that old song. Some of you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. An old guy named Frank Sinatra sang that. But um, Here's the deal. I can look back over my life, and every single regret I have, it's because I didn't listen to the wisdom of God. Every single one. Whether it's a few or a lot, every single one. It's because I did not listen to and apply God's wisdom in that situation. So if we could just stop being so rebellious and start listening more 
to his wisdom, we'll understand how valuable that is for us to bless us and to allow us to bless others. Paul went on to say a lot more about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's trying to bring correction and discipline to the church there, to Christians in that church. And here's what he says, beginning with verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, listen to this, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. You see what he's getting at here? People think they're so smart, but they're not nearly as smart as God. All right, here's what he goes on to say, verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the, uh, uh, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God, listen to that statement, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. We think we're so smart. But our wisdom is foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. Just look at how far away our culture has gotten from some of the clear teachings of God's word. When it comes to marriage, and family, and parenting, and finances, and all those things. You could name any subject on the earth and the scripture speaks to it. Look how far away we've gotten from the wisdom God teaches us about those things. And look at the consequences that have come with those foolish decisions that we keep making. We keep hurting ourselves and others and asking why and wanting God to fix it for us. Here's the most foolish thing we can do. is to think that we can live outside of God's wisdom and not have bad consequences. That's foolishness. The reason those boundaries are there is to keep us from the bad consequences. So when we have the bad consequences, what it should tell us is the response should be, God, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from the bad decisions and start doing it your way now. But instead, what a lot of us do is say, God, fix this for me. I can't believe you let this happen to me. Even while living in rebellion against the wisdom of God. We're asking God to bless and take care of and provide everything that we want in our lives. And it just doesn't work that way. God will not bless sin and rebellion. He never has and he never will. So if we want the blessings of God, he teaches us in his word, here's the wisdom to live by. That's where you find the blessings is by living in that wisdom. That's where the blessings are. So, let's look at the second thing here today, and that is the revelation of God's wisdom. Well, if God's wisdom is so valuable, then how do we find it? How do we seek it? I have people tell me all the time, Pastor Andy, I just don't know what God's will is for me in this world. And I know sometimes they're asking about some specific decisions they're trying to make, but a lot of times they're just talking about life in general. I just don't know my plan, God's plan or purpose for my life. I don't know what I need to do with my life. And oftentimes, my next question is, how much time are you spending in God's word? 
Because if you really want to know God's will, where do you need to start? God's word. That's where he has revealed his will, is in his word. Now, he works through other means too, but he has specifically stated his will for us in his word. Now, the word is the sword of the spirit. So the spirit works in combination with the word to give us wisdom and guidance and direction, but it, but it, it starts with the word. If you want to seek God's will in your life, then you need to go to God's word to find out what that will is. Sometimes people say, I just wish God would just, just speak to me and tell me what I need to know. And he already has. You just haven't really paid attention to it. You haven't spent time with it. You haven't prayed over as you read and asked the Spirit to give you the insight and the wisdom that you need. It's there. But we don't always want to do the work. That's really the bottom line. We don't want to do the work of having to get into the Word and read it regularly and spend time in it and, and pray and ask the Spirit to guide and direct. And, and so we're trying to live outside of doing that and still have the wisdom of God in our lives. There's a disconnect, isn't there? If you're not going to spend time in the Word, you can't expect to be filled with the wisdom of God. Well, I attend church. I listen to Pastor Andy every week. Well, that's great. I've got, what, 45 minutes one time a week. To share God's wisdom with you. Don't you think it needs to go a little deeper than that? To really be filled with the wisdom of God? Absolutely. And even when you hear me, you need to put it to the test, the scripture says, to test everything. And how do you put it to the test? What's the standard of the test? What standard do you test it with? The revealed word of God. That's the standard. So whatever speaker you're listening to, and you can listen to great preachers online, you can listen to anybody you want to, but you should always put it to the test of what does God's Word actually say about that. And if you don't know what God's Word says about it, it's easy for somebody to guide you down the wrong path, to lead you astray. And a lot of good speakers are able to do that to a lot of people in our culture. They're eloquent speakers, but they're not staying true to the Word of God, and that will take people down the wrong path. So if you don't know the Word of God yourself, you can easily be deceived and led astray there. Ephesians 3, verse 10 is a powerful verse. I honestly have read this a lot, and it never jumped out at me till it did in the past couple of weeks as I was preparing this week's message. It really jumped out to me. Here's what it says. Listen, Paul says this. His intent, speaking of God's intent, all right, for us, his intent was that now through, what's that word? The church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You know one of the jobs he's given the church is to do what? Is to make known the wisdom of God. Now, we've talked about this before. When he says the church, who's he talking about? Every one of us who are in Christ, we are the church. So through you and me, the wisdom of God is supposed to be made known to all the authorities and rulers and the heavenly realms and everywhere. We, we are supposed to fill the earth with the, and the heavens with the wisdom of God. It's supposed to happen through the church. And yet almost every study done of the American church today says we're the most biblically illiterate church in the history of our country. And why is that? It's because we're not 
exercising the spiritual discipline of spending time in the Word of God regularly. That's why. We're expecting it to happen just by showing up for church on a Sunday service once every few weeks at least. And that's going to do it for us. It's not going to work that way. It's got to go deeper. We can't fulfill our purpose without being filled with the wisdom of God. The church needs to be... Now, the way we share that is not only through our words, but through our example and how we live our lives, right? If we're living out the word, that, that teaches other people, too, what God's wisdom is. They can see it and how we act as a husband or a wife, how we act as a mom or a dad, how we act as a child in respect to our parents. Uh, we, people are able to witness God's wisdom being lived out by how we work at work, how we, what attitude we have, what we participate in or don't participate in at work or in the community. They see the wisdom of God being lived out in our lives. But we also put that together with our words and our teaching, and that's a great manifestation of the wisdom of God into our communities where we live. But if we keep living in rebellion outside of the will of God, how are we going to fulfill this passage of making known the wisdom of God to the world? We're never going to do it that way if we keep living outside of God's will ourselves. If we're not going to be under the authority of the wisdom of God personally, how can we ever influence other people with the wisdom of God? We can't. So the church, you and me, we have this responsibility given to us by God himself. This is his plan for how his wisdom is going to be made known to the world. It's going to be through you and me that he makes it known to the world. And let me tell you something. That's not going to happen in an hour or two on Sunday mornings. That's going to have to happen day to day to day to day out there in how we live our lives, that we make it known to the world. Because most of the world's not going to be here on Sunday morning, are they? So if we're going to make this known to the world, we've got to live it out out there. So that the wisdom of God, is, they, they are exposed to God's wisdom through us. Now here's the cool thing. The number one source of God's wisdom is the scriptures. So if we... If we're spending time in the Word, we're getting to know the Scriptures. But I hear this complaint all the time. People say this. You know, they look at the Bible, which has God's wisdom in it, and they say, oh, that's an old, ancient book, and we don't even know if it's reliable. Haven't you heard that argument? Uh, after all, it's been rewritten time and time again, right? So we don't even know if what we have now is really accurately the Scriptures. Haven't you heard that argument from people who don't want to come under the authority of God's Word at all? They try to act like we don't even know if the Bible we have today is really something we can rely on. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it starts out this way. All Scripture is, what's that phrase? God breathed. So the claim of Scripture is it comes directly from the breath and the mouth of God. Okay, That's the claim of Scripture for itself, that it comes directly from the mouth and the breath of God. Now think about that. The breath of God created everything. The breath of God made the man and formed him into a human body and then breathed into that man the breath of what? Life. That's the source of life, the breath of God. Okay? So he says, all scripture then is God-breathed. It has that power of the creator, life-giving God in it. That's what scripture has in it. Are you getting a better picture now of the value of the riches, of the depth, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's the source of life and everything that's created and sustained, okay? So, so we need to recognize the value of Scripture 
is that it comes directly from the breath of God himself. But I hear this argument. Well, well, how do we know if the Bible we have today has been translated and rewritten and all that? So, so we don't even know if we got an accurate copy. Yes, we do. There's plenty of evidence to support it. I just want to give you a brief view of a chart that's been done by biblical scholars. Uh, this has been done for a long time now. But, but this is a good chart. You don't have to know every detail on this chart. But I just wanted to put it up in front of you and point out a couple of things. How many of you in school had to read uh, Homer's book, The Iliad? Any of you have to read that? I had to read it. Uh, I didn't want to read it, but I had to pass a test, so I read it. And it is good, I guess, you know. But here's the thing about the Iliad. It was written about 900 B.C. The earliest copy we have of the Iliad only dates back to 400 B.C. That means there was 500 years between the original that he wrote and any copy of it that we have. 500 years. Now, what could happen to something that was written over 500 years if you don't have any other copies of it? It can change. It can be different. But nobody questions that the Iliad we have today is what Homer wrote. They all just accept that's what Homer wrote, even though we don't have a lot of evidence to support it. In fact, we only have 643 copies of that writing in existence in the world. Today, other than the new ones that we've printed since then. But, but I'm talking about manuscripts, older manuscripts. Only 643, okay? Now, here's the deal I want you to see by comparison. You see a list of other ancient writings and how few manuscripts we have of those and how much time there was between the original and the first manuscripts that we have. I want you to look at the New Testament. It was written between 50 and 100 A.D. We have manuscripts that date back between 100 or parts of manuscripts that date back between 100 and 150 after the time of Christ okay and we have entire books manuscripts that have been discovered that date back to between 150 and 200 AD and we have the earliest copy of the entire New Testament dates back to 300 AD and we don't just have three copies Seven copies, 10 copies, 27 copies, 40 copies, 75 copies, 643 copies. You know how many copies we have? 5,800 manuscripts that date back to that time. So what can we do? We can do checks and balances, can't we? We can go back and look at all the manuscripts to be sure nothing was changed over time. And guess what we find when we do that? Nothing has changed over that time. We have overwhelming evidence that the scriptures we have today in your possession, on your smartphone or your tablet, in that printed copy, they are the scriptures that were originally written. The evidence is far greater than for any other writing of its time. Yet we keep questioning that as if we can't tell if it's really there, really accurate or not. When it's the most attested to writing of its time in history by far. Friends, we can have confidence that the scriptures we have today are God's word. It is God breathed and it's come from him and man hasn't changed it during that time. Is it true there are some translations better than others? Absolutely, but the, but the scripture hasn't changed. It's still the same. Now, there's some good translations out there. I use the NIV, and it's a pretty good one, but there's others that are good too. And, 
Find yourself a good one and have confidence that you still have today what God intended for us to have in his word. It has not changed. So when somebody throws that argument out there, you might want to, you can email me. I'll send you this chart. You can use this. All right. Send me an email. I'll be glad to send it to you. Just say, here, check this out. Because some of you are not going to be willing to, you know, be in a conflict with somebody. I understand that. So just hand them the chart. Let them read it for themselves. We've got so much evidence to support the scriptures as we have them today. It's not just this evidence either. There's other evidence. There's the fulfilled prophecies of scripture. There's so much other evidence out there. But just this alone tells us that the scriptures we have today are what God breathed into the writers when he gave us these words. So we can see the source of God's wisdom. The revelation of God's wisdom comes from scripture and we can rely on the scriptures as we have them today to be a reliable source of God's wisdom. But let's look at the next one then, the last one, the benefits of God's wisdom. What? So, all right, so if we have a good copy, if we have accurate records then of God's will that he breathed into the scriptures as they wrote them, then what are the benefits of God's wisdom? One of my favorite passages is in 2 Timothy. I say that a lot, don't I? One of my favorite passages. Yeah. Here's another one, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture, remember, it starts out this way. All Scripture is God-breathed, but he went on to say this. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be, what, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The phrase translated thoroughly equipped is, is in the original language, it means You don't lack anything. You've got everything you need to live the life God has called you to live. To do the work he's called you to do, to accomplish the things that he prepared. Remember, he says he prepared in advance good works he wanted us to do. And a lot of us say, well, I'm just not very gifted. I just don't have the ability. We can be thoroughly equipped. Where do we need to go to get the equipping? The word. We can all be thoroughly equipped for any good thing, good work that God has called us to we can be thoroughly equipped. I, I've got to tell you, I want to share, this is a confession. When I felt called to be a preacher, I decided to go to Atlanta Christian College to prepare because I was not raised in the church. I was not raised reading the Bible. I, I was raised by good parents, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about them. They loved me. They, they, uh, all my needs were met, but, but I wasn't raised in a, in a really Christian home, Okay. So entering into Atlanta Christian College, they gave me a Bible survey quiz just to see. They did it to all of us, not just me, to see where we were and our understanding of Scripture. I flunked big time. It came back just covered in red. At least they knew what they were working with, right? A biblically illiterate young man that felt like he was called to be a preacher. But you know what they could do? They could teach me scripture. You know what I could do? I could put in the work to learn and to grow in my knowledge and understanding of scripture. God had a real sense of humor. By my sophomore year, uh, the professors got me a job to go preach every weekend in a little church out in the country. Here's this one year of college, right? Studying scripture. And I'm preaching every week at this church. God bless those people. They were so kind and generous, so gracious and forgiving. They put up with a lot of stuff. But here's what I would do. I would sit in class and take notes, and then I'd just go preach what the professor said, right? 
I would just look at the verses and say, yeah, that looks like that to me. And I would just go preach what he said. And you know what? Because they were dedicated to the word, then I could listen to them, test it by scripture, and feel confident preaching those messages on the weekends. My point is this. I had resources just like you do where we can go learn God's word. This church here provides a lot of them for you, okay? You can get involved in a life group that's doing Bible study. You can come on Sundays regularly. You can listen online if you can't be here. There's resources there for you. There's, I would recommend the Version Bible app. has some uh, Bible reading plans. You can download that to your smartphone or tablet, and it gives you some reading to do every day so you can read through the Scripture in a year. They've got plans like that where you can get more and more familiar with God's Word because the more of it you put in your heart, the more wisdom of God you're putting in your heart. And here's what happens. It thoroughly equips you for every good thing he's called you to do. God equipped me to be a teaching, preaching pastor. But I had to do my part in that process. And you have to do your part in the process of witnessing to the wisdom of God to the world. You have to get into the word regularly, consistently. And you have to apply it to your own life first before you can share that wisdom with others by that I mean if you're living outside of the will and the teaching of God right now you need to correct that first before you can influence others the way God wants you to influence others I'm not talking about being perfect I'm talking about not going on in your rebellion when you know what God's word really says about that I'm talking about making different choices that come in line with the teachings of the wisdom of God we all have a responsibility to make those choices. And when we get outside that will, and we all do from time to time, we're called to be reminded that God's wisdom is where we need to be. Let's repent. Let's turn around and let's get back to the wisdom God reveals in his word. Because we all will get outside that will sometimes. But we don't have to stay there, do we? We can make the choice to come back under the will and the wisdom of God. Psalm 119, verse 11. I love this verse from David who knew very well what it meant to get outside the will of God. Okay? Here's what David said in Psalm 119, 11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not do what? Sin against you. See, our greatest battle is not with anybody else. It's with ourselves and against sin. Right? That's our greatest battle. What's the best tool you could put into your heart and mind to have victory over sin? It's the word of God. That's the greatest weapon we have. It's the word of God. I love the example Jesus sets for us. When Every time you want to look at a good example of how you live this out, look at Jesus' life. We have the Gospels recorded for us so that we can see how he lived out life on this earth. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are yet without what? Sin. You think we can learn something from how Jesus did that? Absolutely. So how did Jesus do this consistently? Let's look at one of the best examples. It's recorded for us uh, in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. This is after Jesus is baptized, right? Great fun celebration. Yay, the Holy Spirit comes down. God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Great. And then what happens? He's taken out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. All right? Right after that, somebody was telling me this morning, all the struggles they're going through in their family, and they just recently made a commitment to be back in church and, and trying to live as a Christian. Now all of a sudden, all these battles are going on. Well, yeah, that's pretty common. Satan comes after you and you're trying to honor God, right? So here's what Jesus does. Listen, listen to this. 
Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, duh. Wouldn't you be hungry if you fasted for 40 days and 40 nights? Absolutely. That's, a, that's one of the biggest understatements in Scripture is that after fasting for 40 days, he was hungry. Friends, he was famished. He was starving, okay? Now, here's the thing. When you get physically weak, that's your most vulnerable time because it affects you emotionally. It affects you every way you can imagine. When you're at a weak place physically, you are more vulnerable than at any other time. Doesn't mean you have to be defeated, but it means you, you need to know how vulnerable you are, okay? When you're physically depleted. He's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. The tempter came to him. Who's the tempter? We know. Satan, all right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Now, did Satan know who he was? Of course he did. He knew him from before. They went way back. He knew who this was. That's why he's out there tempting him, okay? If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I've talked about this a lot, but if I had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and I had the power to turn rocks into bread, I would have had me a plate of big fat yeast rolls with butter just running down, right? That would have been my temptation. I love bread. Now, I don't eat much bread anymore, but I love bread, and I treat myself to it occasionally, but, but not a lot because... It can be really addictive for me, and I know that. So you have to be careful with those things. And, and Jesus could have turned those stones into bread. But what did he do? Verse 4, Jesus answered, what's his first words? It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where was it written? Scripture. Scripture is what? God breathed from the very mouth of God. He knew he could rely on God breathed scripture to give him the answer that he needed for that temptation. Now, where did he have that scripture? In his heart, in his mind. He didn't have a, a, a scroll there in front of him to, to roll that out and read and refer to, where's that reference? Let me pull it up online and type in some words and see if I can Google it and find the right word. He had it in his heart, in his mind. I say, yeah, he's the son of God. Could you do that? Yes. Can I do that? Do I have the ability, the resources to do that? Absolutely. It wasn't just because he was the son of God he could do that. He had the same resources we do. He'd been raised learning the scriptures, and he put them in his heart and his mind. So immediately he could quote scripture. Now look at all these temptations. Verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Listen to what Satan does. It is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. What's Satan doing? Quoting Scripture. And this is real Scripture that he quoted. It is exactly what the Scripture said. But you know what he's done with it? He's pulled it out of context to make it say what he wants it to say. Now, if Jesus had not known Scripture well, what would have happened there? He would have said, oh, yeah, that is Scripture, right? You see, we're not easily fooled if we actually know what the Scripture really says in its context. So he says, <laughs> it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Remember the clip from the Grinch? He quotes a verse out of the book of who? But what did Cindy Lou do right away? But it also says, and she quoted another verse, right? That countered what 
he was trying to do. That's the reason I used that clip. You see, if you know scriptures well in your heart and your mind, or at least you know how to go to the references that you have and find it, then you can't be easily deceived even when somebody's quoting scripture but misusing it for their own purposes. You're not tricked easily when you have it in your heart and your mind and you know what God was really saying. Do not put the Lord God to the test. And then verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. What does he tell us to do with Satan? Tell him to do what? Get behind us, right? All right, he set that example. He says, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I want to close with this verse. Listen to me. This verse is one of those that's pulled out of context and misused for a lot of purposes. In John 8, 32, Jesus says about his disciples that if we would follow him, all right, then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Has nothing to do with slavery. Has nothing to do with discrimination. That verse had nothing to do with any of that. Now, it would apply to all of those things, but it wasn't specifically talking about those things. Here's what that verse was saying. When you know the truth, you are free to make wise choices that will bless your life. And there's no greater freedom than that. You don't have to do what the rest of the world is doing. You don't have to believe what the rest of the world is believing. You don't have to teach what the rest of the world is teaching. When you know the truth, you are free from that. You're free to live as God teaches you to live. Now, don't get me wrong. God's truth teaches that nobody should be enslaved. No human being should enslave others. That's a good thing. God's word teaches against discrimination. That's a good thing. But here's the thing. You could be deceived in any of those areas if you don't know the truth. The truth can set you free. Really free from the lies and the deceptions that Satan wants to bring into your life. The scripture is clear. Satan's role is to steal and kill and destroy. And he uses lies and deceptions to do it. And the greatest weapon you have against that is to know what the truth really is. Because then you're free from the bondage of sin and slavery to sin in your life. And that's the greatest freedom of all. Let's pray together. Father, Father, I'm so grateful that you care enough about us as a loving Father that you don't want us to keep making bad decisions that hurt us and hurt others. I'm also thankful that you give us freedom to choose. We can choose to do whatever we want to do. We're free to do that. But you teach us that we're not free from the consequences of doing that either. And the reason you teach us that is because you don't want us to keep hurting ourselves and hurting the people we love and care about. Hurting totally innocent people because we're making these bad choices. Hurting our kids, hurting our spouses, our families, our friends. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And a love that's willing to teach us the truth about life. And how you design life to work. Help us to learn to value and treasure your wisdom that's found in your word. So that we will 
invest in getting to know what you teach and applying it to our lives. And then we can be the church you've called us to be, the church that is making the manifold wisdom of God known to our world and our time. Thank you for those here who are committed to that. And if there's anyone today that needs to make a decision to, to repent and come under your teaching and your will as a disciple, as a follower of your teaching, may they take those steps today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.